welcome back to this week's episode of the Mike the Gardener Gardening Podcast, sponsored as always by those rather lovely people at Natural Grower. Now, Natural Grower supply plant-based products for both organic and chemical-free gardening and your houseplants. They're absolutely crammed with certified organic growing power. And if you're looking for amazing results with all of your fruit and veg, your flower beds and houseplants, then Natural Growers award-winning certified organic peat-free compost and fertilizer are the very best you can buy. And your plants and gardens will love you for using it. All products are certified organic. They're 100% chemical-free and 100% peat-free. And those rather lovely people at Natural Grower have given me an exclusive 15% discount off all products for my listeners. Just pop MIC15 into the apply coupon field when you check out today's episode, which is also the last in series six. I know, hasn't that whisked by so quickly? Is a particularly nostalgic and special chat for me. 20 years ago, or thereabouts, I started to build upon my passion for plants and gardening by embarking upon my horticultural studies. Doesn't that sound grand? And I was lucky enough to have Kingston Moorwood in Dorchester Horticultural College about half an hour away. And so I started upon a three to four year period of intense study to get up to speed with my particular passion of horticulture. And that was around a full-time job. Oh gosh, woe is me. Uh, I spent the most pleasurable time studying at Kingston Moorwood in their beautiful grounds and gardens. And the dedication of the lecturers at Kingston Moorwood was unbelievable. And as a result of studying there, And through their dedication, I gained my RHS Level 3 Diploma in Horticulture. So to go back and chat to Nigel Hewish, who was head gardener and one of my lecturers when I was studying, was an incredible opportunity. Wandering around the grounds before and after my chat with Nigel brought back so many fond memories And I was rather surprised and taken aback at how emotional I felt at being back in the place where my journey started in earnest. So, without any further ado, here's my chat with Nigel Hewish, head gardener of Kingston Moorwood in Dorchester. Well, I'm here this morning at Kingston Moorwood College in Dorchester. Very, very special to me because I came here 20 years ago to learn horticulture. And the guy who I'm chatting to today is head gardener Nigel Hewish. And you were one of my tutors 20 years ago. So it's lovely to be back. It really is. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome to the garden again. Uh, on a lovely day compared to yesterday. Uh, what a difference a day makes. Well, it's really strange because I did a podcast at Abbotsbury just a few weeks ago and there was a bit of a storm the day before I came there and of course we've had um is it storm Kieran storm Kieran um but it looks very peaceful very sunny and very calm here today so how did the garden fare yeah um actually uh, relatively well um a few branches uh small branches down uh as you would expect some of the climbers on the wall that they get 
uh, a little bit um, uh, hit by the the wind, um, but not too bad. And we're we're sat here in the summer house underneath the wisteria, uh, and yeah, a few bits had to be tied back in, but on the whole, not too bad. Well, it certainly looks beautiful, and I remember this part of the garden. What what is this garden called? So this is the red garden. Uh, with the pond uh, and if you stood in the middle you look down through the hedge and down through the avenue of Copper Beach it's surrounded by Copper Beach Hedge and then uh, Box Hedge going up to the Temple of the Four Winds uh, at the top of the slope And the garden, you've been here a few years so how long have you been here and how long have you been head gardener? So I've been here uh, 32 years now. Uh, came here as, as head gardener. I, previously, I was head gardener at uh, Barclay Castle in Gloucestershire uh, and came here, yeah, 1991. Wow, it all seems like yesterday, I bet. <laughs> uh, it does, um, but we've um, raised uh, three, three lads and they've got uh, kids of their own now. So <laughs> and are there any aspiring gardeners in the family? Uh, one or one or perhaps one of the grandkids, uh, uh, she's showing uh, an interest. So you, you said you were head gardener at, in Gloucestershire before. What brought you down to Kingston Moorwood? Were you were you headhunted, or did you know the area? No, I, ju- I didn't know it at all. Uh, saw the advert uh, in the Hortic Week uh, and applied. We came down um, and. Um, the kids were only babes in arms uh, then uh, and um, we had a look around and at the end of the afternoon I said to the wife, I said, we won't get this, this is, this is too good and uh, then get the phone call to say, yeah, we'd like to uh, take you on and that was great and, and there's been enough of interest here to keep me here, that's the thing, um, it is not wanting to go uh, anywhere else. So how did your gardening, I'm going to use the J word, how did your gardening journey start? When did you first get bitten by the bug that we all know so well amongst ourselves? Yeah. Well, I, I was brought up with it. Um, uh, my father was a, a groundsman gardener um, uh, at a school and um, and prior to that, uh, at Glastonbury Abbey, he was the groundsman there. Uh, and so I was brought up with it uh, and uh, uh, living with um, the, the, that job and, and the kit and machinery and uh, starting very early, uh, he used to um, mow round the edge of the area that was going to be mowed and then he'd allow me to carry on up and down. Uh, so you weren't allowed the outside bit. That was the, tr- that was the tricky part, was it? <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, but, uh, you know, it's a way of getting used to... Uh, the machines and getting used to doing the job keeping the lines straight and and all things like that so uh, and then from that I went uh, as an apprentice gardener at Millfield School uh, in Street where I was uh, brought up and um, went to Cannington College I didn't come here to college but went to Cannington College yeah. uh, to study um, and then um, uh, yeah a couple of jobs I was uh, under gardener at Pusey House Gardens uh, in uh, Oxfordshire and then as I say head gardener in Berkeley and then come here so what was the appeal what was it that attracted you to gardening I, mean, I guess obviously having sort of like your parents gardening around you but what appeals to you why do you love it so much I, I think it's that 
I say with me dad, uh, his interest and the interest of knowing what plants are. Uh, and he always needed to know the correct name. And so that got me into uh, looking it up in the book and in the evenings going through the books and and looking at different plants and finding out what they were. And it, it really, it's the plants. And it's knowing the plants. And I think that is fundamental to, to gardening, is knowing what you're dealing with. Uh, know the plants. Uh, and there are some things that look very similar, but they need dealing with completely differently. Well, I remember when I first decided to study at Kingston Moor, my first course was actually, it wasn't here, it was uh, in the Lansdowne with a guy called David Hurrian who went on to, yeah, we know, we know David Hurrian, um, but that passion for plants, the eye dents, and then having to remember them. And I used to run in those days, we are talking about 20 years ago, I used to go running and I used to look at all the plants and go through the Latin names because it is all about the plants. So... And of course, you you went on to be your tutor as well here, aren't you? Yes, uh, uh, tutored on various courses. Um, I, I would like to say that my sort of topics are trees and turf, uh, <laughs> but I have you know done design and and garden history as well. It is uh, that's been uh, a good one uh, as well. And a lot of people uh, have uh, enjoyed those courses. Yeah, well, I studied RHS level one and then came here to do two and three um, and just the best time learning and these beautiful grounds as well and learning so much from you and the other uh, tutors here about the plants. So your job as head gardener, I guess in the 32 years you've been here, must have seen some changes in that time as well. Uh, well, lo lots of changes, but, but things are the still carry on the same yeah yeah um so yeah we've we've seen uh, quite a bit of, not within the formal landscape because obviously that's a listed uh, garden and and so we try to keep uh, that in the fashion that it was created in whether that be in the georgian style or in the arts and crafts style um so we we keep to that uh, as much as possible uh, but in other areas then there's been buildings put up and, and new courses and expanding uh, horses and outdoor leisure and recreation and uh, and all those uh, things so we've had to um, landscape those those areas where buildings have been put in that, and that's quite interesting so when it comes to the, the new buildings and the landscaping, who's responsible for the planting? Is that down to you, Nigel? Do you have to come up with a plan and then does it have to be approved by people or a board of directors? Um, it, it varies a little bit. Some of the planting will be specified within the planning. Um, some of it will be through the planning department. They will uh, stipulate what they want whether that be native or ornamental mm. um, because obviously some of the buildings that we've put in are within the countryside yeah, yeah. and so therefore the plantings have be, had to be more naturalistic uh, which is which is fine um, and and so that there's a bit of a um, uh, list of what is is required there uh, but those that are you know where we've got uh, you know license to do what we like then yeah then that's great but what we try and do is incorporate plants that we haven't got in other places 
Okay. Um, right. So, so um, you know, if if we've got areas that we need to develop, then plants that we haven't got elsewhere, particularly, um, say, uh, amount of plants, uh, and I'm thinking of things like evergreens for the florists, because we've got a large floristry department, uh, and they use a lot of foliage. Right, yeah. And so we need quite a n- lot of evergreen shrubs uh, for their foliage. So if we can kill two birds with sto- one <laughs> stone, is have uh, plants around buildings that we can then use for foliage for their uh, floral arrangements. So there's a few things to think of there because it's so you've got your florist to think of, you've got the people who are coming to see the gardens who want to see different things and maybe things that they can relate to, but also how are you planting with the climate change situation? Um, we've had some very changeable weather. The weather is changing year on year. Is that something you're considering proactively or thinking about? Uh, well, it, it's something that we have been doing for a number of years where we're using less hardy plants. Um, we we plant them out um, and leave them, making sure that we've got replacements if required, um, and and just see how they go. Uh, and, and some have survived and, and carried on uh, and, and are, are thriving. Uh, and so that might be the way to go. Um, but also the other thing in the wider uh, state is thinking on tree planting, mm. because if we are going in, you know, uh, summers are going to get uh, warmer, uh, winters are going to get warmer, um, we may need to change what we're planting. So we are planting perhaps, or we have planted uh, perhaps a, a few more lime trees now than than before because it does look as though lime will come back into thing. Whereas, you know, when you look back in history, um, small leaf lime was a, a, a quite a widespread tree. Yeah. And that, that's got, died out a little bit over the, the years. Maybe that will come back in again. And I, I know you love trees. Trees is one of your passions. So are there trees that we used to plant that are now suffering because of the changes in the climate that you've noticed? Um, well, yeah, is the <clears throat> the trees that we've seen problems with are are, are things like the horse chestnut. Yeah, um, uh, been suffering on a number of fronts uh, there. Uh, we seem to seem to be getting um, more root disease, um, so phytotheras, uh, anthracnose, things like that, with um, willows um, and and um, uh, other uh, plants. Uh, as well uh, some of the planes uh, as well um, and uh, I think we're starting to see quite a bit more fungal activity so things like honey fungus um, meripolis um, those sorts of root um, fungus uh, we're seeing more of those and is that because of the increased rainfall and the humidity the warm temperatures or is there another reason for that I'm I, I not sure exactly yeah. what that might be, but I, I would I would think that it's probably down to the the weather conditions that we're having that they are spreading more. I'm not saying that they they're coming to places where they haven't been before, mm. um, but they're just a little bit more prevalent. 
And whilst we're talking about these things, what about things like box blight and caterpillar, which seems to be more prevalent in this part of the country than I've ever noticed yeah. before? Have you had problems with that? Yeah. Well, we look out over the, the red garden here and we look at the purple box, uh, the purple uh, berberus that yeah. is surrounding the um, beds where we had box surrounding those beds uh, and the box blighters hit that uh, and so we had to change uh, and we went actually back to Berberus because that was what was in here originally uh, but we went to box um, but we also look at the slope opposite us and we're looking at box there yeah. and that's still okay and I, and I do think that it is down to how much we we trim our box as to whether we get any problems. So where the low box around the beds were clipped uh, two or three times in a season, uh, that puts a lot of strain on. Whereas the, the box that we see that is still there is only trimmed once a year and not very tightly. And it looks quite healthy, which is really, and I've seen the same in different gardens. Some areas where it's maybe been maintained more heavily have been prone to it more, and other areas where it's left are quite healthy looking still. Yeah, so that's really sort of significant, isn't it? So I think there's, there's two things there. Is one is uh, we don't want to be uh, trimming the boxes. As, if we want box, we don't want to trim it as much as as we have been doing and the other thing is looking for other alternatives yeah and it's nice to actually see the the berberus as a as an alternative um have you used or discovered or tried any other alternatives um we've uh, used uh, a few things um uh euonymus there's some nice small leaf euonymus yeah, yeah. that can be used um cotoneaster there's some nice Catoniasters, uh, mycrophilus, things like that, uh, that can be used uh, as well, um, and and some of the conifers as well, some of the dwarf conifers. Mm. The other thing I love about Kingston Moorwood, and just looking out beyond us now, is the yew, the clipped yew, which is just and, and that always looks fantastic and can be cut quite hard. Yeah. Well, we say about cutting quite hard is actually today. Uh, down in the brick garden they are actually going to cut back one section very hard because it has started to sort of billow out and and we can't really cut it back uh, to the line Mm. so we're actually going to take one section right back and so it will be to bare wood Um, but that won't be a problem because it will shoot out again The, the thing to remember with you is as long as you leave some green to uh draw the sap up then you it will come back again it's only when you cut it back really hard that it sometimes says no thank you now you've just taken me back 20 years i remember walking around the garden it might not have been with you nigel but we were looking at some of the lavender that was cut back quite hard what's your approach with lavender because some people are afraid to cut things back hard we also hear that if you go back into the wood maybe it won't won't regenerate so just as we're touching on that what are your tips on pruning lavender when and how much by yeah well I, i is definitely if you cut lavender too hard uh it it will die um it doesn't like it at all um so you need to regularly clip it 
and regularly prune it back because so not to allow those stems to get too woody mm. uh, and that will um, keep it going and keep it a nice shape as well so what we do is in well a, a couple of weeks ago we went over with the shears and literally just gave it a, a fine clipping and took off all the flower heads um, and and just trimmed it and tidied it up for the winter and then in the end of february beginning of march uh, we'll then go and cut it hard uh, and cut it right back and then it will shoot out again in the spring so that's but not into the wood no, no. Just, it is where you trimmed it to before. That's where you you go to again, and that's how you'll keep nice, compact lavender without this awful legginess that can go on with some lavenders. Just before we started recording, I'm on a roll now with the plants. Um, you have two national collections here, don't you? Tell us about your national collections. So we've got national collections of penstemons and salvias. Uh, the salvias are the tender uh, ones, although we have some of the more hardy ones as well, but most of them are the, the tender ones. Um, and we've got them um, now in one area. So we've got the, the penstemons and the salvias growing in one area so that when people come to visit, they can see them both uh, in the same area. And actually at the moment, now as we go into autumn, uh, they're really flowering well. We haven't had any real frost yet to, to knock them back. Um, but they're, And they'll carry on uh, now. Uh, and, and those... Uh, more tender salvias tend to be the later flowering the later summer or even into winter and so it means that some of the later flowering salvias uh, we actually have in pots and we put them into a cool greenhouse and they're just starting to flower now whereas if they were outside they would then just come in in the flower and they get hit by the frost from your experience and i know everybody will be thinking what are your favorite salvias which ones do you particularly enjoy and why yeah um well i, I think there one is cal califolia uh, a lovely blue with a uh, a sort of um triangular uh, leaf um lovely uh low quite low only a, a couple of feet tall and spreading um, uh, but it's a lovely blue uh, colour um, but unfortunately it is the one that is the least hardy so you know that as soon as the first frost that's the one that's going to get hit so you need to take cuttings of it uh, to keep it going And what sort of soil um, should you be keeping salvias in? Again, sort of like I always think a sort of a more free draining soil but tell us what you think uh, Well, it, having the, the two collections that we've got penstemons and salvias ideally suited to our ground uh, our our soil is uh, gravel over chalk so it's a very a light free draining soil uh, and uh, both of those are like that like that the salvias do well in in that lighter soil uh, and the penstemons uh, survive over winter usually um, because it's not so damp 
So how did you fare last year? We had a tough winter last year. It was it was cold. It was wet. Um, how did you do? Because I know a lot of people, myself included, thought they had or had lost salvias and penstemons. Mm. Uh, we suffered quite badly with the penstemons. Um, we lost a lot, as as a lot of people did, um, um, and so we're repropagating. Um, now, uh, hopefully, to uh, have a, a reasonable display uh, next year. Um, the salvias were um, variable. Uh, some that you usually think will, will get hit by the, the winter um, actually survived and came through. Those that have got the fleshy, fleshier roots, uh, they came through uh, no problems. Whereas some of the more woodier uh, ones, actually, um, we lost. And it's a combination, isn't it? The wet and the cold. If, it, if it's dry and cold, they should be OK. Yeah, there's a lot of plants uh, are that is that uh, they'll, they'll actually survive quite cool, cool temperatures, mm. but they just won't survive the wet. So how many different salvias and how many different penstemons do you actually have here? Um, so salvias, I think we're on about 270. Wow. <laughs> That's a few. <laughs> and uh, penstemons, I think we're around 130. Wow, that's some great collections there. Um, so when it comes to maintenance on each of those, the salvias and the penstemons, cutting back, when should people do that? When shouldn't they do it? Any sort of tips for people who love salvias and penstemons? Yeah, is uh, both of them very similar, is that leave all their top growth on over winter uh, and then... Uh, with the penstemons, cut that top growth back uh, in April. Um, you will usually have some growth already starting there and just cut back the old growth and allow the new growth uh, to come. Uh, and with the salvias, what I always say is actually leave them uh, and until you see that new sh those new shoots coming. And that could well be right until the end of May mm. uh, and then cut them back. They do look a little bit tatty, but it's better to leave them with that top growth on, protecting them, uh, than to, to tidy up. Talking of tidying up, it's that time of year when many, many years ago, my, my, I'm pretty much a perennial grower, pretty much leveled to the ground, raised to the ground. Mm. I've learnt now not to do that. What's your preference here? What's your approach to dealing with perennials and cutting back? Yeah, it, it is ideally leave the perennials over winter, uh, and that uh, actually gives you some seed heads and and the, you see the, the the frost on the the stems and and it gives you a nice winter interest. Um, <clears throat> um, and then cut them back in the spring. Uh, cut all that down in the spring. The problem with that is that uh, one of um, labour uh, is that if you leave everything to the spring, uh, then you run out of time. So you have to be a little bit pragmatic at times and say, look, I've got I've got the time now, uh, and I need to to get on with it. Yeah, it's a bit of a mammoth task to leave it all to the last minute and then sort of like if you're at home and you've got to have, you're reliant on bins to take things away if you haven't got compost heaps, it's a little bit overwhelming. So, yeah, so little and often be pragmatic, yeah. as you say. Yeah. Yeah. Kingston Moorwood, how big is Kingston Moorwood? How many acres are you talking about here? So the actual estate is 750 acres. 
the garden that's fairly big <laughs> uh, the garden is uh, 35 acres of formal gardens uh, and then the campus is about 50 Within, that's within a campus of about 50 acres uh, in the middle of the site and, and then the farm is all the way uh, around that which includes obviously the, all the trees So how many people do you have working on the garden at any one time over those um, 35 acres plus? So I, I've got um, four full-time uh, members of staff and one part-time uh, so I've got two members of staff that work in the formal gardens and look after that area. I've got one uh, that looks after the uh, ward garden uh, and up in the horticultural area. And one who uh, does all the mowing, drives the tractor around, and I can hear it in the distance as we speak. Um, and then we look to get students involved in as much as possible, uh, which obviously has to tie in with their curriculum uh, and, and what fits in with them. So it, it's a matter of uh, sorting out the jobs that need doing uh, and um, how it fits into their timetable. So we can say, well, they can plant a bed uh, of bedding like, like they did on Tuesday. Uh, or they can plant out some daffodil bulbs like they will do next Thursday. Um, so, yeah. So you've got quite a, a tight schedule of jobs that need to be done at any one time of the year by your team or the students. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, keeping up with things um, and also allowing things for students to be able to do. Uh, is Sometimes people will say, well, that looks a bit weedy. Well, yeah, but we're leaving that. Mm, <laughs> or mm. that needs pruning back. Yes, it does, but we need it for pruning practice. So it, it's a getting a balance, a fine balance. Let's pick up on pruning. And that's the one thing I came here to learn and learnt so much about pruning. And it's a subject that some people are a little bit scared of, pruning plants and going in. Um, any general advice on pruning? What, what, what are you pruning at this time of year? Um, well, we're doing quite a lot of pruning uh, at the moment. We're finish, obviously finishing off the hedges, and that includes the uh, uh, informal hedges uh, as well, uh, which is uh, quite a lot of bits of pruning out. And I think where people get uh, a bit uh, is that they prune to a line, mm. and, and you end up with a hedge. Yeah. Um, so where really you should be looking into the plant and looking at how I can cut out whole branches uh, to allow regeneration. And, and it's more of a renewal pruning uh, rather than a formative tidying up pruning. Um, and, and so we're taking out the, the, the dead, the diseased, the, the um, damaged, uh, yeah. and opening it up, uh, allowing uh, light and air in, uh, and hopefully that gives good growing conditions and for those of the for those gardeners who are new what's the worst that can happen if they go in too hard or they don't go in hard enough is there anything that they need to worry about well obviously there are some things that if you if you cut them back too too hard they don't like it um but but generally uh, i would always say is cut back to a a, a, a union to a where, where the branches um, uh, divide prune back to those rather than cutting a branch off midway yes it may have buds there that will 
will break mm. but sometimes it won't it'll actually die back to the next union so um go back to that union uh, and and uh, take out whole branches um but the other thing is is that don't forget about that plant is do the pruning and then when it starts into growth go back and look at it again and say well why is it done that where is it shot from where is it uh why is it growing like it's growing so it's a bit of an, an analysis afterwards going back just to seeing what the impact of your cuts have had on the plant so you actually learn from observation yeah it is so often uh people will uh cut uh shrubs back hard because they're um in over the path or uh, over the window or something like, like that and so they cut them back and then the next year they say well i've got to do the same again because the harder you prune the more growth you will get mm. so you need to be a little bit more um choosy and take out branches rather than just cut them back okay thank you for that i've spoken to a number of head gardeners over the last few months and i wondered how does your job pan out day to day how much time do you get to spend <laughs> laughing how much time do you get to spend actually in the garden and how much is office based health and safety plant passports all of that sort of stuff yeah i it I would love to be out in the garden all the time. And, and I think my staff would like me to be out in the garden a little bit uh, more working alongside them. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, office work and, and that computer now, uh, you know, get, <laughs> yes. get, gets, gets in the way. Uh, and, um, but, you know, those are jobs that we need to do and we need to keep on top of. Um, and and it, it, yeah, uh, and planning as one of my bosses always used to say is failing to plan is planning to fail now that's one i'm i used to be a management trainer 100 years ago and that was the only one that i actually thought was worth telling people failing to plan is planning to fail and that is so important in any sort of walk of life but especially in gardening isn't it yeah and and thinking now particularly now at this time of the year because it's planning for next year so we're already putting in our bulbs for the spring um, we're already planning our propagation for our summer bedding next year so you know we are think always thinking ahead and it's that plan so picking up on bulbs then as it is bulb time what bulbs do you plant here and do you change each year um, we have to change sometimes yeah. um, particularly with things like tulips mm. uh, is you know tulip fire uh, once you've got that uh you can't plant tulips uh, back there again um so you have to for those who don't know sorry for those who don't know what is tulip fire well it's a it's a virus uh in the the plant and it manifests itself in uh stripes uh and and distortions within the the flowers and the leaves uh and so they they may still flower but they won't be uh like like they should be uh and and uh, and good um so we need to move those and so uh we'll choose new areas uh, to plant uh the, the the tulips in um but also we're looking at other things as well so um we're using a lot more alliums this year lovely um to for height behind some of the low hedges 
Um, we're also, over the last few years, we've used um, a lot more uh, Dutch irises. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and they work really well. And also, the, the reason for doing that is that they are a little bit later in the season. Mm. So they give us a little bit of a, a, a bridge from the spring uh, bedding to the summer bedding. So you've got that. Yeah, there's always that awkward time, isn't it? The spring comes to an end and then there's like a, a full stop in the garden. So the Dutch iris is one of those plants you can use to bridge that gap quite nicely. Yeah, no, there's some really good plants at that, bulbs at that time. Uh, as I say, the, the Dutch irises, uh, the, some of the alliums um, and, and things like the camassias. Oh, yes, love a camassia. So which camassia do you have here? Um, so we we have both the the blue and the white, yeah. Um, but it's the blue that we've used for sort of bedding, yeah. uh, lifting and and yeah. But it is another one of those plants that just gives that little bit of interest in that sort of like hiatus between the spring and the summer bits coming along. Yeah. Um, and which alliums do you use here? Any specific alliums or sort of recommendations for people? Uh, well, it's the gi- giant ones, the gigantium, um, and uh, the one that we're using in the thuya beds is the purple sensation. Yeah. Um, so that'll give us big, bold things, but also some of the the smaller, the the uh, smaller uh, white ones in the beds as well can look uh, nice. Yeah, they do look nice, sort of like planted on mass. They do, yeah. it is quite breathtaking when you see them. So when it comes to the tulips and the choices. Who who actually makes the decisions about colours and varieties? Is that is that down to you, Nigel? Some of the t- most <laughs> most of the time, uh, me, but also I, with input from my team, uh, and also uh, input from uh, like the florists because they the florists will use uh, spring flowers and, and tulips as well. So uh, we we might get some specifically for for them. Um, but also what we might be using them for. Um, obviously, the um, uh, college is also used as a venue for weddings. Um, course, yeah. uh, and so we can use some of the things like white tulips uh, to give us a backdrop for mm. some of the spring weddings. You've got so much to think about, haven't you? There's the florist, now the weddings, the, the, obviously the college is used as a venue for lots of different events. Mm. You've got the visitors to the gardens as well. Um, what's, is there a particular question that you're asked a lot from the visitors? Are there any sort of like recurring themes from uh, visitor questions? Very often people will say about seasons mm. and we've done a lot to improve the amount of spring colour that we've got because we really are a summer and late summer garden right you know it, the things that we grow the pensemons the salvias really are at that end so uh, a lot of people are come at that time and it's most definitely aware oh, are the pensemons and the salvias for those people who are listening who are thinking about going into gardening or even making a career out of it what would your advice be I, I think it's it's that interest cultivate that cultivate being the word that interest in in plants and and nature really um, but it is look around and see the plants and the thing is is that whatever the year whatever the weather there will always be something one plant or another 
that does well mm. for some reason just happens to have had the the right conditions that year for it uh it may be the couple of years ago where we had one single orchid come up in the grass outside of the house <laughs> <laughs> it was because it was covid we were in lockdown we hadn't been mowing the grass and, a, and, a, and an orchid comes up that's a familiar story. I've heard that from a number of gardeners now, where during those times, those awful times, things weren't done in the same way and things flowered differently. Yeah. Do you have your own garden at home? Well, I've, we've actually recently moved. Uh, and so the garden is a, I was going to say a blank canvas, but it's more of a weedy canvas uh, or brambly canvas. Yeah. So we're, we're it's a, it's a work in progress so when it comes to your own plant passions what sort of plants do you particularly love uh, i think trees and shrubs uh, are the thing uh, i i've always had a passion for for trees um i'm a, a trustee for uh trees for dorset uh, okay. and so you know tree planting is a, a big part of of what i do so for those looking for to put a tree in their garden, in a sort of a middle-sized sort of garden, any recommendations for some great tree colour and interest all year round? Because I guess that's what you want to do, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a number of trees for, for smaller gardens um, uh, that fall into the uh, Malus, Sorbus, Crotagus, Prunus, th those sorts of ones. They're, they're particularly for smaller gardens. But I don't think you should rule out some of the trees that may get a little bit bigger. Mm. And I'm thinking things like birch. Lovely. Oh, yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of different birches uh, now, um, which eventually may get very big. But you can keep them, you know, under control. Absolutely. Uh, and they haven't got heavy foliage. Mm. Uh, that's the thing. Um, and things like um, Katsura, the Cirsodophyllum. Very nice indeed. I'm actually looking to put one in my own garden yeah. as we speak. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, and, you know, a lovely tree. And at this time of the year, that smell of the burnt sugar. Love, yes. Yeah. That's, well, I'm literally talking to a nursery at the moment to see if I can get one sorted. So um, very nice choice. Uh, a desert island tree for you. If you had a desert island, but that desert island could have the soil of your choice to, to accommodate a favourite tree, what would it be? Oh, that's that that that's <laughs> caught caught me there. That 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 one. Um, I I think that the Cirsodophyllum is a is a, a good good one. Yeah. Uh, always been a, a favourite of mine, especially when you go to places like Stourhead, mm. and you've got those big, you know, fully grown uh, ones. Uh, they're absolutely fantastic. A sight to behold. Well. It's just started to rain. Nigel, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and chat to us today. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Well, thank you, Nigel, for taking time to come and have a chat with me. And thank you, too, for sharing your knowledge, skills and experience when I studied with you. And obviously for the many, many other students who come to Kingston Moorwood to study horticulture. And as always, my thanks to all of you who have tuned in to this series of the Mike the Gardener Gardening podcast.
It's always so lovely to have you all along. And I know you're all there because I get so many messages and comments and feedback from all of you. And I try my very best to get back to each and every one of you who've taken the time. So thank you for listening. And thank you for those who've been here since the very beginning. And if you haven't, it's lovely to have you here now. So I'm having a short break. But rest assured, I am already working on guests for Series 7, which will be back in spring. So watch this space for more information. (laughs) And if you haven't already had enough of me, you can pop over to my Instagram account where you'll find me as Mike underscore the gardener. And there's lots of gardening tips, advice and fun. I do the occasional live on a Sunday where we spend an hour or so nipping round my garden and for me answering your questions and sharing hints and tips and advice. And we have a bit of a laugh along the way. And I also, of course, have my new regular column in Amateur Gardening magazine, which is out every fortnight. So do have a read of that. It's a great magazine and it's lovely to have Amateur Gardening back on our shelves, isn't it? So there we have it. Keep warm, keep dry and I'll see you in the spring. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.